Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Welcome to the last Love Tennis podcast of 2021. Uh, and we'll try and finish the year in some style. Uh, we've Not all of us have COVID. I am officially recovered today. George has officially recovered three days and Calvin's almost got his taste back. So one way or another, we're coming out of the pandemic singing, albeit quietly. Um, a fair bit to get on with today. Uh, we're going to give you uh, an exclusive look, a first ever look, uh, an Emma Raducanu interview from the archives, courtesy of George Belshaw back in uh, February 2020. What a different world that was, um, both for everyone and also particularly Emma Raducanu. So you get a chance to listen to that. Um, we'll also talk about the fact that she's been made a uh, member of the British Empire. Uh, Naomi Osaka is on a flight to Australia, which is great news for tennis all round. We'll talk about what we expect from her. Um, we'll also look at the Mubadala World Tennis Super Spreader Championship, as it's now been dubbed, um, with almost everyone who played there has now tested positive for COVID, although most of them have promised that they didn't catch it there. Um, and we'll also do some predictions for 2022 um, we, of course, did reasonably well with our predictions for last year. We'll see if we can do a little better. But as I say, George, maybe maybe you want to sort of tee up this this Raducanu interview. Um, you you spoke to her, I believe, was it training for a, a Fed Cup tie against Slovakia? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the team were at Queen's, where they obviously have clay courts, where they were preparing for an away time with Slovakia, uh, which was on the indoor clay of Bratislava. Um, which I think is the only indoor clay tournament and in inverted commas I've covered in my career. Um, <laughs> but it, it, and it, it turned out to be one of the last, it was my last flight abroad for about two years, really. Uh, <laughs> and I almost died on the way back, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> I'll be asking know. you about that after we hear the interview. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, at this time, Emma was kind of training with the Fed Cup squad and it was the fed cup then i'm not misnaming it this was correct at that point in time um and yeah i mean i kind of did a bit of a piece about the team as a whole and the main focus was 
what are they going to do without Conta? Because at this stage, it was kind of like Conta's not playing. Um, seemed unlikely she was going to play again. And as has so been proven, um, she hasn't turned out for Britain again and won't now she's retired. Uh, and there's this young girl called Emma Graticanu who was kind of in the squad. Um, and I, I didn't really use much of this interview because it was a piece about the team and specifically the Slovakia tie. So it's kind of the bottom of the piece. I've put in a few lines of quotes from Radikanu and Kjathavan, but I did do this whole 10, 15 minute interview or something at the time with Radikanu. And seeing as she's so hard to get an interview with these days, I thought it might be quite <laughs> fun to kind of put out this vague exclusive that's never been heard before. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, and I, I started off by asking her what she learnt uh, from then British number one, Joanna Conter, when they spent time together at the Fred Cup in Bath. I went to Bath last year with, with the team and, yeah, I got to spend a little bit of time with her. And, yeah, she was just pretty inspiring how professional she was with doing all of the small tasks before her match, during, after, and her professionalism was, you know, pretty eye-opening for me someone like as a junior who doesn't really read into that much but um yeah it was a good experience are there any particular pros you've looked at growing up and been like that's my inspiration that's what i want to be like um i would say that i haven't had a particular one particular player i kind of look at a wide variety of different players and i feel like i can take a little bit of um you know inspiration from many different players um to kind of like create my own kind of player. Describe your game to me then. If you're picking different parts of a different player, what, um, what is I'd your game like? I'd say that I like to be aggressive. I like to take control of the point. Um, I'd say I'm a fairly big hitter and I like to dominate with my serve. And big from the baseline, do you come in at all? Yeah, pretty big from the baseline. Um, I look to come in. Uh, working on it at the moment a little bit just to finish the point off but yeah what are your interests outside of tennis um i'm really into music okay and what music? just kind of like r&b kind of R&B. stuff but i have a load of different genres that i kind okay. of listen to um <clears throat> and i love photography absolutely yeah. love it like cool. uh i just love taking pictures and trying to make something that doesn't look so good like trying to find the right angle and stuff and make it look nice so yeah okay so we'll start with the music what's your favorite artist i couldn't top five give me some names give me some names (laughs) um (laughs) see if i know them uh, show my age uh pretty like juice world but he juice world (laughs) god i am i'm getting old here Um, i'll I'll listen to them i really love like old school rihanna like that was like really good On some the of the throwback stuff yeah. Sort of stuff yeah because I kind of when I was like 11 or 12 I was just jamming away to them yeah, and right. recently discovered them so it's good okay and photography yeah right what have you taken a picture of this week what I was actually your... don't have a camera but like just on my phone because the phone's pretty good camera nowadays and um I actually have like disposable cameras and like they're pretty vintage effects so they're also pretty trendy at the moment <laughs> how did you first get into that uh, i'm not sure a couple of friends uh we had like a dinner party and we took one out and they came back and the shots were really cool so i just decided to like carry on getting them that's cool 
my parents, yeah, they have pretty high expectations, but it's good because it always pushes me to do better. Are they big tennis players? No, not at all. Um, they're not. In, they weren't into sport at all before me, and um, yeah, my they just want me to do well in anything I choose to do. So as I've chosen tennis, uh, they're going to push me to be the best, and I'm going to push myself. So. What's your earliest memory of tennis? Probably going to the park where my parents used to just take recreational lessons like 30 minutes and I was waiting for them just cycling on my brat's bike <laughs> um, around the tennis court um, but yeah they like dragged me every weekend to go to go um, with them and honestly at the beginning I didn't like it at all like I hated tennis but I gradually just fell in love with winning, working hard, uh, seeing results pay off after you put so much work in. It's just really rewarding to see. Uh, and where in the UK was that? Um, Kent. Kent, okay. yeah. And do you remember going to watch any live tennis here? Did you ever do that? Or? Yeah, I remember um, going to Eastbourne and I actually came here to Queen's Club as well when I was younger. Um, I wasn't I wasn't fully aware of what was going on back then, but um, I haven't really watched much tennis since. Uh, only when I've been to the, some of the slams in juniors, I'd watched a little bit of the professional matches, and it's great to see what they're doing alongside of you. It's pretty inspiring when you're in the canteen and Rafa's walking past you, you know? It's, it's a great experience. had a really tough year last year with injuries and I had my GCSEs so it took like two and a half months out for that and yeah it was just great to be back on court playing. What GCSEs did you take? Uh, I took maths, further maths, English, literature, language, French uh, and then all the sciences. How did you get on? Yeah I, I got on well I got um, nines and like Three eights. Oh god, the, the system's changed since yeah. I was at school. God, you're <laughs> really making me feel old today. This is good. <laughs> um, and what are your goals for this year coming up? Um, this year's just it's a lot more free for me because hopefully school won't be inhibiting me that much. Um, I'm still taking my A levels, but it's my first year, so it's not as important as um, maybe next year or the year before. So um, my goals are probably just to stay fit and healthy so I can maximise my time on court and play my full allocation of tournaments because I've got 14 I can play for the remaining of the year. Um, yeah, so to stay fit on court and hopefully my goal is to just feel good on the tennis court, you know. Um, I don't really think about too much about ranking, but... It would be great if I could make slam qualities of Australia next year. What are the A-levels you'll do? I'm only doing two maths and economics. Okay. Why those? Because my parents are in finance. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get a say in that? No. <laughs> um, and you said you had injury problems last year. What were Um what were I was they? out a bit for my wrist. Wrists. But, yeah, I mean... Is that right or left? left but it's completely fine so um i just took a bit of time off for that but um other than that we're all good okay, okay. um so we're gonna put a mashup question first 
where do you kind of see yourself in five years' time? And if you were given the opportunity to play this week, would you feel ready to jump straight in? Um, where do I see myself? Hopefully on the tour playing, you know, week in, week out. I'd love it um, to be around that experience. I've had a bit of a taste with hitting with some of the top players in the WTA and... You know, I think that everything they do is so amazing, like the way they work in and out, practice weeks. Um, yeah, I think the tour is a very nice place to be once you made it at the top, but at the bottom end, it's it's also very tough. And if I was given the opportunity to play this week, you know, I'd feel really honoured. I'd love to represent my country. Um, yeah, I'm pretty young, so I, I feel like I'd play with no pressure in all the matches I play. So, um, yeah, I'd... Just go out there and enjoy. Emma there talking to our very own George Belshaw back uh, in early 2020, pre-pandemic, pre-US Open win, pre-almost everything that everyone knows about Emma Raducanu. But hopefully you learned a few things. Um, George, obviously a lot of background noise there because I think you're pretty much caught side having a chat. Um, what were your impressions at the time? Did, did you think at all that, that was someone who was going to go quite so far? I mean, it's one of these, isn't it? Everyone said she was very good, but, you know, I don't think anyone was saying their, what they were saying by the time Wimbledon came around, should we say. You know, I think most people back then were saying definitely top 100, probably top 50. That, that's normally the kind of range people will speak in. Of course, when we got to Wimbledon, everyone was like definitely top 10. So, you know, there clearly was a period of development between then, and I suppose at Wimbledon it was seeing it, her play at the highest level is so so it can be so hard to say how people will transition up. Um, but she was clearly talented to be called in training with them, and of course she was training a year earlier in Bath, um, so very young age, kind of in there. Um, she was very nice. I mean, she was. I, it didn't feel to me that she was someone who'd been interviewed a lot before. And probably hasn't been interviewed that much since, actually, given the uh, kind of close-knit quarters um, she's in. Um, but she was perfectly nice. Um, was very kind of smiley, relaxed. I mean, I'll be, I'll be kind of honest. It wasn't really an interview I did any prep for, as you can probably tell. I mean, it was just a case of, <laughs> oh, Radhikanu's here. Do you want to have a little chat with her? And I'm like, well, it's not really the focus of my piece, but I'll get to know her. She could be good in the future. Probably a good person to get to know. So... It was just generally a bit of a chat um, and it probably comes across that way a little bit rather than too many hard-hitting questions, etc. Um, but yeah, she, she was nice. Calvin, you, you um, and I, uh, without making this sound odd, you know a lot of teenage girls um, <laughs> because of your, your, your work <laughs> as a coach rather than anything um, more suspect. Um, I mean, it, it, she, you know, she obviously isn't a natural talker, and and you know doesn't hasn't had time to develop a personality at that point beyond just what teenage girls are like. Do, do you find that, or do, or do some girls come into tennis at fifteen, sixteen, and they're kind of almost fully fledged adults in their personality, or is that pretty common that they're a bit undercooked, if you like? Um, I think it's a personality thing. I, I know and have coached a few girls who are very bubbly, very lively, and would have given a great interview at, at, at 16 years old. As I think she was she 16 then? I was just trying to do the maths. Seven, 16, maybe 17, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so who would have given a, a great interview, had strong opinions on things, who who actually knew what music they liked. Um, <laughs> when, when they said that they loved the music. 
Um, but then I still I, don't know I, who Juice World is, by the way. No, I don't know I if don't. it's a rapper, a band, or yeah. And I broke my promise. I didn't listen to it on the day. No. Oh wow! Um, I thought it was somewhere that charged eight quid for a smoothie on Oxford Street, but um, <laughs> <laughs> probably makes me sound really old now. Um, but um, I mean, yeah, I, I mean. I, I enjoyed your reaction to her saying that she loved photography but doesn't own a camera. I mean that yeah. that is that is the Zuma generation in a in a nutshell, isn't it? <laughs> yes, wonderful stuff. Um, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, I, I, but no, I think it's it's not that. I always get the pressure with Emma that it's not that she doesn't have opinions and doesn't have anything to say for herself. It's more that she's so guarded, either because of herself and her parents and and a and a management that she's absolutely opposed to saying anything of note all the time and he's so guarded about doing that and even I wondered but when we got told that that George had done that interview I wondered whether she was a bit more open then than she is now having been told probably more so by her agents don't offend anybody don't say anything that can be offensive but no it it seems that um it seems that she was she was just the same back then yeah natural uh in talking a lot and saying nothing (laughs) yeah quite I would jump in and say I've interviewed a lot worse people than that. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I, 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 I think that's the thing, isn't it, though, George? It's not that she was answering in one-word answers. It's that she, she sort of says a lot of words, and but then doesn't really commit to anything. Mm, yeah. And and I, I kind of stand by what I said, that, you know, it's not easy as a, you know, a teenage girl thrust into an interview, especially because of the environment you're interviewing her in, George, you know, she was very much the new girl in camp, right? Like these were not players that she knew, you know, in, in other parts of the interview that didn't make the edit. These were not players that she knew from juniors necessarily. Um, they weren't players that she massively knew from the circuit. Sure, she'd have hit with them before and, and coming up through the programmes. But, you know, she was a little, but probably a little bit cowed and a bit kind of, you know, feeling like the new girl in town. Yeah, and I, think, I think, you know, you do get a bit of a sense of that from, you know, she talks about, bumping into Rafa in the canteen and, you know, where she in five years time, well, I really want to be kind of in and around all these people because I'm so amazed by how they're kind of working all the time. I mean, it's interesting kind of looking back at those being quite wide-eyed, innocent ambitions, really. Mm. And she's obviously far exceeded that. Um, I was actually thinking before we spoke about this, whether I'd actually interviewed anyone before they'd won a Grand Slam who's gone on to win one. I actually couldn't think of anyone else. This is certainly kind of in terms of the raw, complete nobody going on to win a slam. And obviously won't be doing that again. Um, so it is, it is quite a nice one to look back, even though, as you say, you know, it's, it's not going to win any Pulitzer Prizes for a great groundbreaking <laughs> content. But, um, you know, yeah, she, she was friendly. She was nice. And as you say, I think the environment she was in makes it all the more difficult to kind of actually really... Go, go all out there you know what I mean um, and I suppose the environment I was in was the same as well you know it, it wasn't really a, an idea to oh let's press this young girl find out the true story about her it was more of a oh, bit of an introductory chat who are you nice to meet you etc heard about you a bit um, but yeah I hope, hope others enjoyed it a little bit more than Calvin <laughs> um, am I right in saying that she didn't play in that uh, tie against Slovakia no, she didn't play. It went very badly, actually, the tie. I, I, I had a good time. It was a fun little trip, but uh, the tennis didn't go that well from a British perspective. Is that where you gained your knowledge of Anna Karolina Schmedlova? It was, yeah. She beat Heather Watson in uh, in straight sets and Harriet Dunn. I mean, I, I'd heard of her before, but I saw her very nicely on the clay there and realised what a, what a useful player 
she could be and mm. she's won some fantasy points in the process <laughs> um emma radicani since then has obviously done a lot since our last episode she's um been named or she's been the headline name coming out of the new year's honors list um she's going to be made mbe which is obviously very exciting um and i'm sure that she has said that I haven't read her quotes, but I can only assume that she said she's very honoured. She is going to accept it. She's not going to turn it down. Um, I think I'm trying to think if Andy Murray got made MBE after he won his first slam. I, I know he's now obviously a knight of the realm and OBE, which for people who don't know these things outranks MBE, um, MBE being the kind of lowest rank of honour. Um, but I can't specifically remember. It's not, I don't think people really care about it. I mean, has anyone got any strong opinions on what Emma Raducanu MBE? Um, yeah, I thought that to... silence might come. <laughs> we can go to my opinions on the honor system if you want. But I <laughs> I'll be honest, Calvin. I don't think we, we don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, congratulations to her, I suppose. In in some of the, um, as people who follow me on Twitter will know, I'm in some pretty rogue Facebook groups for work purposes. Emma Raducanu based ones. <laughs> I'm glad you caveated that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and this week I discovered someone likening Emma Raducanu to Jesus by saying, a long time ago, another one the people like you threw stones at, Jesus in all caps, Christ, those stones you throw at blessed people will come against you. Um, Calvin, Raducanu or Jesus? Uh, I definitely don't want to get into that. Purely <laughs> <laughs> in tennis terms. Um, but I, I do have like a little tennis-related um, honest system story that always cracks me up. Um, so you know when you um, when you get an OB or an MBE, it's usually added to the end of your name, isn't it? Um, so like it would be George Belshaw MBE something like that so yeah. I don't know whether people know this but when you get your when the, the coaching system um in Britain when you get one um the the last one is um master performance coach so it's, it's reduced to MPC that kind of thing and um there's club performance coach which is the one below that which is CPC that kind of thing and there was this tennis coach who I've known for years and I'm not going to name him, uh, but he's a complete idiot. Um, <laughs> and a few years ago, he had business cards printed and he was putting his name and then his coaching qualification like behind his name and on oh, letterheads my. as well. So he was he was so-and-so CPC. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's like, that's not how you're supposed so to use it. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah I... There's certain sort of um, industries where you can get away with that. Like any sort of medical profession where you're like a member of a specific, you know, the the society of an yeah, anest yeah. anesthesiologists or whatever. Music, you can usually get away with it as well because there are various kind of fellows of things and the rest of it. But I really think that's it. Somehow your tennis coaching qualifications. I mean, what would that make you if you were to do that, Calvin? How many letters are we getting after your name? I'm MPC, so wow. um, I am going to start like basically right. a knighthood. Um, <laughs> um, Tennis royalty. Um, um, anyway, moving on from Calvin's yeah, honours yeah. uh, to more present Emma Raducanu related uh, things. She's obviously um, she's been in the Middle East for Christmas, uh, and she posted a few photos, spending time uh, with a friend out there. She's obviously recovered from COVID now, uh, and will then be heading to Australia. 
uh, as we hope will all of the tennis greats. Although, as I mentioned earlier, um, there are plenty who are struggling to do so. Uh, the virulence, or I should say the uh, transmissibility of the Omicron strain seems to be the main problem for organisers at the moment. All of the usual COVID protocols aren't quite as effective. Um, we can argue till the day is long and dark uh, about that one. We won't. Um, one person who will be heading out there, and in fact already has, is Naomi Osaka. Um, she posted a picture of herself en route to Australia. I think players... I think today might be the first day, we're recording this on the 27th, the first day players are starting to fly out um, to their various training bases and, and warm-up tournaments. Uh, George, we sort of discussed off-air before we came on that neither of us quite knew what to expect from Naomi Osaka. Um, if you had to put your money where your mouth is, what would you think she can achieve at the Australian Open this time around? I mean, if the question is what can she achieve? She, she can absolutely win it. She's more than capable of winning it. Um, you know, this time last year, she was comfortably the world's best hardcore player. Um, I wouldn't say I've seen evidence from anyone else on a hardcore that makes me think they've grown to become a better player than Naomi Osaka was last year. Um, the question is, does she come back from uh, this kind of hiatus fresh, ready to compete. Um, is there going to be more pressure on her, you know, more spotlight, presumably, given she's been out so long? Mm. Um, it, it didn't work out that well at the Olympics, but that's also not necessarily a great gauge, given it was on home soil. She was the, you know, flag, that's not flag, lit the Olympic the torch. Torch bearer. Torch bearer, that's the one I was after. Um, so I think that that doesn't necessarily give us the indication we want either. So, as you, as you normally say about me, James, I've probably got the splinters riding right through my legs <laughs> up to my, my backside. I, I don't think she'll win it. But I think the break will... I, I, I think she'll come in undercooked. That, that's kind of my feeling at the minute. Um, mm. I think she, yeah, obviously think she's more than capable of doing it. I think she'll probably make... I think she'll go out before the fourth round, to be honest. And if she gets past the fourth round, I'd be heavily tipping her to win it. Uh, Calvin, from, from what you've seen of her and from what you know of her, does, does she strike you as someone who could come in cold, uh, play one warm-up tournament maybe, and, and then just hit top form immediately? Or, or is she more, do you think, of a, a confidence player, someone who needs matches under her belt? It's more that everybody... I, I say this all the time to, some, to the extent where I seem like a broken record at times, that no matter how good a shape you're in physically that match play is is the it can't be replicated and especially at that level with fans and that kind of thing you can't replicate match practice and you never know how much it gets it's usually somewhere i think when a player's had kind of four or five matches they're about there so if she has a warm up tournament and she wins a couple in that and then she gets to say if she gets through the second round at the Aussie Open then i'd start getting really interested in winning it but I agree with George that if she if she gets to the fourth round, then I think that almost make she becomes favourite at that stage. I would say I don't see who's going to beat her if she's had a couple of wins in a warm up tournament and then has won three matches in three or four matches in the Aussie Open. Then I mean she has the skills that she has the the weapons that she can just blow people away. Um, so it would worry me less than somebody say like Ash Barty, who I think needs to find a bit of a rhythm in her game style and that kind of thing. 
Um, she is going to play the uh, one of the two fifties at Melbourne, the summer set, as they're calling it, as her warm up, um, which is the week before uh, the week before the week before, if you like. So she'll have that that week off before the Slam that most players prefer. Um, it's looking like a pretty good tournament that one. Rafa Nadal is playing it as well, um, and a few other choice names. Calvin, you want to say something? Yeah, I'll just say that I, th- I think countering what I've just said, one of Osaka's problems is she doesn't. She's so unpredictable in those smaller tournaments. It's not like she she's not um, Andre Rublev um, in that regard, is she? Where she turns up and you guarantee they're making final every time. When it's not, so she tends to perform big at the Slams and at the and at the Masters. And outside of that, it's very up and down. So it wouldn't surprise me if she goes and loses first first or second round or something like that in those warm ups. Last year, she played the the Gypsland t- Trophy, which I think was one of the on site ones in Melbourne. Uh, and she won three matches and then pulled out of her semi-final against um, Elise Mertens. But if anyone remembers, I seem to remember, George, and you might be able to better than me. That was, I think, the, the semi-final of that tournament was on the Saturday before the Grand Slam started on the Monday. And yeah, I think they were... Go on. Yeah, they've had delays, hadn't they, because of lockdowns and stuff, and they'd squeeze yeah. everything together, I think. I think it was that that the year that Evo ended up playing that winning that title the the morning before his Grand Slam started, which was uh, far from ideal, for example. But yeah, um, I mean, from a personal perspective, um, great to have Naomi Osaka back, you know, on tour. I, I, I did a sort of 2022 wish list on Twitter this week for tennis, and one of my wishes was to have a Grand Slam. And we've talked about this before. And I know Cab kind of nicked it off Galvin to an extent, but to have a Grand Slam where Osaka and Halep and Raducanu and Goff and Barty and Sabalenka all find themselves in, in the quarterfinal. And to do that, of course, Osaka's got to get to the start line, first of all. I think the other question I would ask is, you know, who, who are the players we see kind of toe-to-toe with her on a hard court now? And, who you know, how bad can the draw be? You know, it's kind of a bit different to the French Open where... We feel like there's banana skins left, right, and centre, but Osaka on a hard court is just such a kind of class apart. I'm not sure there's too many players outside that top 30 that I'd be particularly worried about Osaka from. Um, from I mean, I'm just looking at just looking sort of out of interest players who've beaten her on hard courts in the last two years, I suppose, is the best period to look at. And you know, there's there's a couple of results that stand out, you know, rogue ones. Um, you know, losing to Teichman at Cincinnati last summer probably doesn't yeah. mean very much. Teichman did reach the final there, though, didn't you? I mean, that, yeah. that is one of those weird weeks where the player at least, we said this about Murray a few times, that Murray's at least lost to someone who's hit form weirdly. Yeah. I mean, Fernandez beat her at the US. Sorry? Did Fernandez beat her at the US? Didn't yeah, you? Fernandez in the last 82 of the US. Um, I guess he got to the final in the end. And, yeah. And then uh, Coco Goff beat her in Australia um, nearly two years ago now, which, I mean, feels like an enormously long time ago, because I suppose it is. Um, but that result kind of looks a bit different in the in in kind of post, in retrospective. I, I would suggest, yeah, um, there's no obvious kind of hardcore matchup where you're like, oh, she's got her number. Um, I mean, Calvin, from a tactical perspective, what sort of player... Are you looking for, if you're, you're scanning a list of players, what kind of player, what do you need to do to beat a soccer on hard? I mean, there's not many. She's so good <laughs> on the hard thoughts when she she moves well. She hits the ball so hard. 
um, that most players can't live with her. I guess, I guess you'd be looking at one of the two extremes of somebody who's really skillful, who's got good hands, can slice and dice it a bit, that kind of thing. So kind of like a bit of a Barty um, or Fernandez, to be fair, uh, beater. I guess maybe a lefty as well who can keep it away. Her backhand's pretty strong, but it's it's not her forehand. Who can keep it away from her back, uh, her forehand, or somebody who j- can can just sometimes hit the ball as hard as she can, like a Sabalenka, I guess, somebody mm. like that. But I think there are players, you know, like Schwantek, uh players like that um, are always going to trouble. They're, they're just good tennis players. So I don't think it's necessarily, a, I think in the women's game, it's, it's not often a tactical thing. It, it's just who plays well, who's got it within their game to be able to do it. And I think there are there are a few who would trouble her, but I'd, I'd make a favourite against any of them. I think um, my internet went for a second there, so I, I may have missed this on your list. But if you look at the best Grand Slam match she's really had in one of the tournaments that she's won hardcore, it's probably that Muguruza one. I yeah. do think Muguruza is one of those players who whose top level is comparable to Osaka's top level. You know, if, if Osaka plays at her best on a hardcore and every other player plays to their best, Muguruza is one of... Possibly the only one I think can be comparable on her day, um, mm, just in yeah. terms of everything she's got. So, that's and funnily enough, I think that kind of conversely, Osaka's quite a good matchup for Muguruza because I don't think that she kind of slices and dices into that. And like Muguruza can be vulnerable to that kind of game sometimes. Someone who takes the pace off and asks her to kind of create all the pace all the time. Um, you know, a little bit like someone again, similar weakness like an Arena Sabalenka. So. Yeah, it's it, there are matchups in there, but none easy. She also, I mean, as as you say, Goff's beat her, and she always seems a little bit uncomfortable when she's playing golf. When I've seen her, it's maybe a mental thing. There's a, there's a lot going on there, I guess, emotionally, and they're friends, but they train together. She's a bit younger, and that kind of thing. She always, even though she's beat her a couple of times, she's beaten Goff a couple of times pretty easy. While those matches are going on, she never seems entirely comfortable in her own skin. So. That's mm. always one. And I do think this will be a big year for golf as well, to be fair. I think, you know, you're right there, Calvin. There was that US Open one where we watched Osaka play golf and it's the one where Osaka kind of brought the crowd together and got golf to kind of do the post-match speech. And watching that match, you kind of thought, okay, is golf's level actually as good as we thought it is? You know, okay, she's really young, but... There's she, a won the, she won the first set of that match as well, to be fair. There's a big step up to reach... Osaka um, from kind of how that match passed on but yeah I mean look Goff has seriously seriously kept going on the trajectory thought she would I agree with Calvin I've got her down for one of my predictions as one of the two I'm considering for like the French Open this year mm. um, and I think she she could easily be top five by the end of the year really Goff if she keeps pushing on yeah yeah um, more on predictions uh, shortly now, as you know, um, we're mad for predictions on this podcast and believe me, they are coming. But there's one more item on the agenda I wanted to discuss because people have been um, having a go on Twitter. I mean, there's some victim uh, complex flying around here, but uh, the Mubadala World Tennis Championship, which is world only in name. It is an exhibition. It is a bit of a joke. Um, and it has turned out to be even more of a joke, although not really very funny if you're a professional tennis player to contract COVID in the middle of your pre-season. Uh, the hit list has expanded in the last day or two. Andre Rublev has now tested positive. 
that adds him to Denis Shapovalov, uh, Ons Jabur, Belinda Bencic, uh, Rafael Nadal, of course. Um, somehow, Andy Murray and Dan Evans have managed to avoid it. I, I suspect, um, knowing what we know about Murray, that he was pro- probably pretty anal about who he hung out with in Abu Dhabi. Um, I also have posited the theory that Dan Evans lives out there and so probably didn't have to stay in the hotel and was maybe staying at his own place and doing his own thing rather than hanging out with uh, the players. But that is just a theory. Um, and, you know, he may yet test positive. He also had COVID in the summer, which I guess is going to help him a little bit as well in terms of immunity. Um, just just out of... I'm partly paid lip service to it, George, but, I mean, super spreader event. Is it, is it now in that... In terms of hit rate, it's it's ninety percent players. So it's the new Adria tour. <laughs> well, that's that's what people have been imploring us to call it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of a difference given the timing of the Adria tour and now and where yeah. the world's moved on. Um, but yeah, I think it's a. It's I think I said this last week. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting Australian Open build-up because the kind of spreadability of this particular variant is you know they're all getting on normal flights this year there were so many problems last year getting in there on these kind of purpose booked out um charter flights so now they're adding in the uh i suppose vulnerability of kind of just the general riffraff if you like of non-tennis bubble controlled flights etc um so who who knows i mean it's going to be such an interesting build-up i think there's an argument that for those players, they've maybe got it at the right time because I think there'll be a fair few more who drop down, if you like, um, before mm. the tournament. And it, it's much yeah. worse getting get closer to it. Uh, and speaking of COVID and Australia, um, Novak Djokovic, <laughs> I can't believe we're still talking about this. Um, Novak Djokovic is not playing the ATP Cup, uh, which, and uh, am I right in saying, George, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that he's still in Serbia and is not going to fly out to Australia in the next week? I, I have no idea where he is right now. Um, no idea. Let's activate the tracker device. Oh, no, because he hasn't had the injection. Yeah. yeah Bill Gates <laughs> has no idea where he is, fortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 the more and more this goes on, the more and more I think he's just not going to be there, is he? There's just no way he's going to be there now. Like, I, unless he's already in Australia. He's just in the same, I mean, he's so random, he could be there already. Like, I just have no idea. Um, Surely it's impossible to just sneak the world number one into a country. Like, surely. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe, you know, without posting, without someone spotting him in an airport or something. I mean, yeah, I mean, it seems totally mental. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, we kind of spoke before, didn't we, about the his participation in the ATP Cup meant nothing, given he was just helping his country qualify, not necessarily committing himself. Um, I, I'm now about 70 in fact I'm 85% sure he's not playing Australia now I think it's going to be crazy I think he's not going to go that's big that is, that's, that's big number I don't, I don't see how he can like I don't see the compromise they can reach that will fit both parties like I think he'd need to do two weeks quarantine hard to go otherwise there'd be absolute uproar in Australia, and I, I don't see him doing that at this stage before a Grand Slam, which is why I say he'd have to be there now already for him to go, I think. Um, yeah. I might be wrong. We'll see. He may well be vaccinated. It's all a big laugh and a joke. You'll note that I, I did not speculate on his vaccination status. Well, I'll speculate. 
and say I'm 99% certain he's not, or at least wasn't vaccinated two weeks ago. And I don't think he'll get a sufficient exemption to uh, play, but we'll see. I think he'll be there. I still think he'll go. I think he'll get vaccinated and refuse to say he's been vaccinated and he'll come to some agreement with, with the Australian Federation where they'll just keep some saying something like he's met the criteria uh, just because he doesn't want to acknowledge that he's got vaccinated. But if he doesn't go, then he's a complete idiot. He's on 20 slams and he's not at a state now where he can guarantee he's going to win one of the next three. Australia's his best chance. And I don't think, I think this is a big year for him. If he doesn't... He might not with the French and Wimbledon. He's probably still favourite for. He's not favourite for the for the U.S. Open by any stretch. But I, it would blow my mind if on twenty he doesn't end up going to Australia. Um, I just won't be able to get my head around it. But I, I still think he'll go. It's the same stuff. This is like just an it's an exaggerated version of when he tore his ab against Taylor Fritz last last year and couldn't possibly finish that match and end up finishing the match, winning it, and winning the whole tournament with a torn ab. I, it's, it's just, he just loves this kind of drama. But he's, he's getting on my nerves a bit now because it, it's, it's also harmful. It's not like another tennis player. We know his fans are the most obsessive, lunatic-type fans on the planet. Yeah. And while he's talking about not getting vaccines, there'll definitely be a large proportion of those who follow him, who they follow every word of his. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just boring, but I do think he'll be there. I don't, my, my two points to that is, one, I'd say I think Wimbledon's his best slam still. I think Medvedev Evans Zverev have closed the gap on hard courts and it'll be tougher there than, even though he's so good in Australia, I think Wimbledon, Wimbledon's the one where the rest of the field just isn't up to speed yet. So I'd, I'd have him down heavy favourite for Wimbledon still. The, the other point, I think, the difference I've seen between the ab and this is the ab to me fits the Djokovic narrative, kind of overcoming everything, adversity, that kind of whole build-up. I'm not sure this fits that bill. I, I think it's fighting against the system, though. The system of potentially, but but I think there's almost a bigger win in not going and not caving to the system. Do you know what I mean? Like this isn't yeah. straightforward as an injury. Like the win could come from not going and some And just posting endless pictures with his family and his kids and stuff like just being like I'm having a lovely time. Like I'm, I'm my my well-being is is paramount. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's such a funny one. Like this re- yeah, I, I I I don't know. We'll see. We all know what what happens in these situations and how many rules can be bent and broken. But I think people in Australia will be furious if he ends up there and it emerges, you know, he's not vaccinated and hasn't had to go through anything to get there. I do think people will seriously kick as, as we said, though, he's so obsessive about winning stuff. And that's what you, to his credit, he's so obsessive about winning. And he can get the, the highest number of slams ever. And he's not going to do it for something like, I mean, I do think he's a loon. But I don't think he's thick, and he must know that the stuff that he spouts about, the stuff that people spout, the anti-vaxxers spout, he must know that that's just a nonsense. Mm. So I, I just think he'll end up getting it and never admitting he's got it, and then he'll he'll have an agreement. He'll, Craig Tiley and, and those people will just repeatedly say, Novak has met the criteria. And, and he'll get them to he'll get them to set not say that he's had the vaccine. And he'll never I don't think he'll ever say he's had the vaccine, but I do think he'll get it. Um, mm. And as for the the, the Wimbledon, George, I, I don't disagree, but six months is a long time. Like six six months is a long time when we get there. And he's favourite for it now, 
but you don't know what happens if, say, Sitsipas just starts winning winning matches out of nowhere. He could become a favourite, or Alcaraz, or someone like that. You never know. Mm. Yes, you do never know, and that's why these predictions that we're about to do are quite so impossibly difficult. But um, we will we will do our best. Um, just as a reminder, both George and Calvin uh, had a fifty percent hit rate last year, picking four out of eight winners, which I think is um, pretty good. Uh, we were I, I don't actually have written down how many I predicted, so I'm just going <laughs> to leave that. You must have got at least one, James. You've got to have gone for Djokovic somewhere. But... I cannot deny having got at least one. <laughs> I'm not willing to divulge any further information. Um, let, let's start in Australia because it's the one freshest in our minds and kind of follows on from that discussion about Novak Djokovic's future. George, I'll start with you each time because it's the fairest way of doing it. Um, Australian Open men's winner. I mean, the, the big issue with this one is it depends if Djokovic goes. If Djokovic well, that, goes George, this is why it's called predicting. You have to predict. <laughs> I'm go- I'm going to go for Medvedev because I think there's a decent chance he's the only player who could beat Djokovic. If Djokovic doesn't go, Medvedev wins it. I think right. um, Zverev's the only other one in the conversation for me. If it's not Djokovic, but if Djokovic is there, he- he's 85 percent favourite. Medvedev's about 14, and the rest of the field's one. Um, right. So I- I'll go Medvedev. I think. Uh, disappointingly, I have also gone Medvedev for similar reasons because I don't think Djokovic will be there, and therefore. I think Medvedev will win it because he's just the best. Uh, Calvin, I, I suspect, given what you've said, you might be going Djokovic. Yep, Djokovic. Makes sense. I think we might come to regret that, George, but um, yeah, we'll see. Too. It'd be terrible if Calvin takes an early lead as well because he won't shut up about it. Um, he still doesn't <laughs> shut up about it. Because like... neither of you two predicted Djokovic would win in Australia, which he did every <laughs> single time. Yeah, I'm like... predicting he's not going to win. I'm predicting he's not going to be there. There's, there's two greatly different things. Uh, much more difficult, as I will say, every single time with the WCA. Um, women's winner, George? Um... Yeah, I mean, I had three names down for this, actually, which I have chosen one, but just to give you my mini shortlist, Osaka is still on that shortlist. Um, you know, she is the best hardcore player if, if fit. And I think, as, as me and Calvin alluded to earlier, if she gets to the fourth round and is still in that tournament, I will be greatly regretting not picking her because she's probably going to go and win it. I think Sabalenka could have a chance to win a slam this year. I think she's kind of hit that semi-final stage and might blast her way through. So I think she'll have a good opportunity at either the Australian or the US. But I'm going to go for Muguruza. I thought she ended the year really well, played one of her best years. Her form in Australia was great, narrowly losing to Osaka. I think if she played anyone else in that tournament, she'd have beaten beaten the rest of the field, basically. So... On my uncertainties of Osaka, I'm going to go for the player who's second best, I thought, last year in terms of the level they reached. So I'll go for Magruta. Really annoyingly, I've written down Magruta as well. And you know, I hate... That doesn't bode well for me. This is not good. (laughs) Well, no, because I've got a resolution this year. Because last year I was like, you know, for the good of the podcast and for the interests of, you know, having a bit of variety, I should try and pick a few different players. And obviously it worked out really badly because Jokic won three (laughs) out of four slams. Um... So I don't think I can differ. Um, I also think because of the way that the women's tour is at the moment, there's there's going to be a lot of jangly nerves later on in the tournament, just as we've seen all year. And I think Muguruza 
while she has a reasonable amount of scar tissue, you know, she was set up in the final two years ago. Um, I also think that she's level-headed enough to deal with it. And I think, I don't like her matchup with Barty. Like, I think she needs to avoid Barty in the draw. I think potentially someone else needs to beat her. But um, I, I am also going to go for Muguruza and I hate it. But um, yeah, Calvin, pick a pin sticker's guide to the, the Women's Australian Open. Um, uh, Osaka, I think. Very good. Uh, let's move on to the clay. I mean, given the French Open feels about four years away, I mean, honestly, the way time has kind of evolved in the last since the pandemic is very odd. Um, I'll start out of fairness to George because I made him start both last time. Um, controversial, but I've got Novak Djokovic um, on the grounds that he's the world number one, the defending champion, and the best clay court player in the world, and he's also fit, which is compared to Rafa Nadal, not true. George, can you disagree? I mean, I've got a three-man shortlist again. Um, and it's, <laughs> you can't keep just going to the three best players on each surface. <laughs> one of those well, I was going to say, this one's been the same three-man shortlist, I think, for the last five years. Right, so Djokovic, Nadal team, move on, pick one. Um, I was I was weirdly leaning towards team, but I, I've kind of reined myself in in thinking that team may just be terrible now, and I'm not sure. Um, so I, I, I'm going to go back to Nadal and just go very safe and think Djokovic might struggle if he plays a fit team, but the fit team loses to Nadal. Alvin, um, City Pass, I think. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. This is a good tournament we've got here. I think he should have won it last year. I think he was the best clay court player overall um, last year. He should have won it, and I think he'll learn from it. I think he'll, um, yeah, I, I fancy him to win the French. So just for the, the statisticians out there, um, since we started doing this a year ago, it's the first time we've all picked different men to win a tournament, which is exciting stuff, <laughs> thrilling. Uh, WTA, I have. I mean, it is absolute carnage. Like when you think about what happened last year um, and what could happen this year with so many young women in the top 20, I, I've gone eager Shontek. Um, she's got a new coach on board. Hopefully by then she'll spend enough time kind of bedded in a bit. Obviously, you know, she, she is a poor previous French Open champion. She's looking pretty settled now in the top 10 in the world. I just... It's the only one that I could look at and go, well, that sort of makes sense. Whereas, you know, the other ones didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I'm I'm going Shontek. George? Uh, she was in my top four, James. So I had, um, yeah, Shontek. Halep is still just, if fit and gets back to good form, she'll, she'll be there or thereabouts. Goff, I was very, very close to picking. But I actually think the player who was best on clay last year and was scuppered by injury was Ash Barty. I think Barty will win French Open this year. Reasonable pick. Can't disagree. Calvin? Um, yeah, I think Barty as well. Very good. Uh, Calvin can see the clock much better than George because he knows we are tight on time. Uh, quick fire round Wimbledon because we'll talk about it so much when it comes around. So um, I'm going Djokovic. George? Djokovic. Calvin? Um, yeah, I think Djokovic is... I'd struggle at this stage to go for anyone else. So I'd say Djokovic. Very good. Uh, I'm going controversial. Williams S. <laughs> <laughs> Chantel Williams? Who's coming through? 
Serena for the avoidance of doubt. Serena right. Williams. George. I, I, I don't think Serena will play again, to be honest. I think she'll retire this year. Yeah, well, I did say it was controversial, but you've got to be controversial. controversial. I'm going for a famous um, natural surfaces double for Barty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Muguruza might win that one. Mm, a return to the top at Wimbledon for Garbina Muguruza. And um, once again, three different women for us, um, a rarity even on the WTA. Uh, and finally, since we've made it to the US Open, uh, Calvin, you have to go first this time. What What have you got? Um, men's. Ooh, it's a tough one. Uh, no, it's this Medvedev have again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uncompromising and unthinking. George? Yeah, same for me, Medvedev. I... I hate myself, obviously, um, and you'll understand why when I say the name, but I just think the US Open is often a weird one. There's often a lot of injuries flying around. Daniel Medvedev's not really had a big injury, so he's due one. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, there may be something that he's been hanging on to. Uh, so I'm going to go Alexander Zverev. I also think that the super fast courts at the US Open went down really well this year, and I think organisers might have realised that. I think we might see it again. Yes, Calvin. This is the one I want a little asterisk next to mine. That if <laughs> Del Potro gets a full year in before then, um, he becomes my favourite. Just for the record, because I've got the notes open, you said exactly the same thing last year, <laughs> <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to this becoming a yearly tradition of Calvin asterisking every US Open with, but if Juan Martin gets a full year in, it's him. Uh, <laughs> women, women's, I um The women's is so ridiculous, right? Because we've all predicted, so far, we've all predicted like the obvious ones. And we know that at least two slams this year will be won by somebody who's not even in the top 60 in the world at the minute. Like, <laughs> so, like they're just way off. So, um this is the the most like I, I, I'm going to say Goff wins the women's U.S. Open. I don't think that's. I mean, if she puts together like we know what she can do, she's had that kind of bedding in process now. She knows her way around the tour. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it be on the realms of possibility. George, uh, I think this is the restart of the Osaka cycle. If you look at the slam she's won, it's Australia U.S. year off Australia U.S. year off. Sorry, US Australia. I've said it the wrong way around, but you go, you know what I mean. Yeah. US Australia. So I think the cycle wins that, and then she'll have my Australia Open 2023 pick in the turn up if she wins that. I was just um I was just kind of when Calvin said someone from outside the top sixty is gonna win two of the slams this year. So I was just kind of cruising through the the sixty odd mark. There are some names. <laughs> go for it, go on. There are some there are some <laughs> names, you know, like picking a grand national winner, you know, Maya Sharif. A rancher Roosh. Um, I don't know, Shui Zhang at the age of 33, as she will be by then. Uh, no, I'm not going to pick any of those. I was going to pick Naomi Osaka as well, but now that George has said it, I hate it. Um, and, and, and you know, again, you just never know. And I think she wants to play the Olympics in Paris, which might throw things off a little bit. Um, so I'm going to say Arena Sabalenka because I, I did pick her to win a slam last year. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. Um, and I pretty much picked her for fantasy every time <laughs> um, because she must win one eventually. She's she's too too good a player and too big a hitter not to eventually win one of the slams. Um, I'll put those predictions on the Twitter as well so that you can see them. 
Um, I'm thinking because of time, we might do our British predictions next week, George. But it would be good to name our under-21 player of the year. Now, the rules for this are simple. And our year-end number ones. Are we going to do that quickly? Uh, maybe we'll do that next week as well. Because okay. uh, then we can have a proper discussion about it. Um, the rules for the under-21 player of the year are simple. The player has to be under-21 on the 1st of January, 2022. And they, the, the metric is percentage increase on ranking. So, for example, Calvin last year won the men's by picking Yannick Sinner because he went from 36 to 10, a 72% increase on ranking. Um, I'm going to start because I'm actually feeling better about my picks than I ever have. Uh, I'm going to start with world number 246, Dominic, <laughs> Dominic Stricker. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what basically, how on earth is he world number 246? He's clearly better than that. Um He's a bit of an all-court player. He's obviously a lefty. He won the Junior French Open 2020. Beat Hercats on grass this year. Beat Chilich. Beat Fuksovic. Um, he's got a lot going for him. He's Swiss, so he'll get wild cards everywhere. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident in this one. He's got some big wins under his belt. George, who's your under-21 male player? Uh, you'll be shocked to hear I've got a short list of three. I've been choosing <laughs> Um, <laughs> tell us one George based on, Calvin, so based on Calvin's success last year and looking where Alcaraz's ranking is now he, he's probably who I'm going to go for to be honest but just so we can run through other ones I think Holger Rune is actually on for a decent year just outside the top 100 I think he'll be comfortably top 50 by the end it was serious signs of improvement um, so I think he, he's very close to being picked and then the other one was a bit of a Raducanu tinted pick. Jack Draper, I think he's around 250, 260. You can easily see him pushing towards top 100 if, if he's fit, which is a big if, but it was the same if for Raducanu last year and she did pretty well, didn't she? Mm. Very good. Calvin, you're under 21, improving player of 2022. Who did George pick there? Alcaraz? <laughs> yeah, eventually. Um I mean, I was going to say Alcaraz as well, but I also had uh, Draper, so I'll, I'll say Jack. Um, I think if he has a full year, then, yeah, I could see him going, ending the year somewhere between 150 and 100, which is a pretty good increase. Yeah, yeah. Staying fit, I guess, key for, key for him, as it has been so many times over the last couple of years. Um, into the women's section, I'll go first again, because I was potentially going to pick Camellia Osorio, um, who she's the Colombian number one, she's 20, she's up to 53 in the world, 55 in the world, sorry. But basically, I think she's done a lot of improving in terms of ranking in the last six months, and I think might, you know, maybe plateau a bit. So I've gone for world number 115, Diane Perry, uh, Parry, I beg your pardon. Now, people may have noticed her because she's got a one-handed backhand, which is obviously something you don't see in the women's game very much. Um, she won a main draw match in the French Open three years ago, you know, at the age of 16 um, as a wild card. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it, one of the things I like about this category is the chance to go and watch some other bits of tennis I wouldn't normally watch. And I'm quite looking forward to watching a one-handed backhand in the women's game and see how it develops. Maybe she'll abandon it and go two-handed by the end of the year and I'll hate myself. But um, yeah, we'll give it a go. George? Oh, George. George, where are you? Oh, his internet's gone. Right, Calvin, you've got to pick an under-21 player of the year before George picks four. Um, a bit obvious, but I'm going golf. 
because I think like you, I think she'll end up in the top five, maybe. It's a pretty big That's... increase. Um, it, it's quite interesting. So, like the the um, just to talk about her briefly because we've spoken about her a couple of times today. I'm quite intrigued in terms of development. What you think of her kind of pathway? Because she she obviously won a title at was she 15 when she won that title in Linz. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. 15, you know, yeah. what's the challenge for girls at that age if they get to that level so quickly? Is it just physicality? Yeah, I think physicality with her and. She's got a great serve, but a second serve can be a bit ropey. Um, some sort of technical issues there, but I get the feeling they'll probably iron them out. Um, and she just looks a quality player. I just think it's time. You never know. There's always this thing that, like, especially with the girls, that they have to win something when they're 50. If they're, if they're good at 15, they have to win something when they're 15 or 16 or they've they've blown it and it's a, it was all overhyped and it's just not the case anymore. Mm. Um but yeah, I fancy um, I fancy she'll make a move certainly into the top ten, and maybe even higher than that. Yeah, I mean you you'll be shocked to hear Goff was on my mini short list of players I was considering thinking in seventeen players. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be who can out outdo her because I agree with Calvin. I think she'll be top ten, possibly top five. So she was on my list. Osorio was on my list. Marta Kostuk was on my list as someone I think is. Someone who could be ready for a bit of a breakout year. Second effort, the one, really. The one I'm going to go for is someone who's kind of had a breakout but has dropped significantly and I think could be ready for a break back out. <laughs> um, so I know it's one of Calvin's favourite players. I think he'll kind of agree with me when he hears this. World number 78 currently, but I suspect she might be back towards the top 20 end of the year. Amanda Anisimova. I knew you were going to say Amanda Anisimova. Although she does seem the um her Instagram suggests that she's enjoying the lifestyle in Miami. Um, <laughs> that's good info from that. <laughs> Very yeah. strong. Who did that for you last year? Who was it you picked? Potapova. Dubai. Yeah, she <laughs> went partying for a year. Um, uh, maybe maybe that'll be the, that'll be the Coco Goff curse. This He's year. actually Anisimova's mate as well, so I wouldn't wouldn't be too confident <laughs> about your pick there, George. <laughs> right, well we'll see how that goes. I'll put those on the Twitter as well at Love Tennis Pod. Um, I'm sorry we've gone on so long this week, but hopefully you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always, and thank you very much for listening. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.